Welcome to Make Things That Matter, the podcast where we explore impactful products and the cultures that create them. I'm your host, Andrew Scottsko, and if I'm doing my job well, each episode of this show will help you to do meaningful work, make things that make things better, and have a great experience doing it. My guest in this conversation is Donna Lishow, an executive coach for Unconventional Leaders and the author of the newly released book, The Leader's Journey. Donna brings a background in design and product to her executive coaching and helps unconventional leaders take control of the story they tell to drive impact within themselves and within their teams. In this conversation, we go deep on how to handle managing our own stories, how to approach having healthy conflict and deal with those awkward, difficult conversations that are such an important part of our jobs. How do we create psychological safety and what does it actually look like to give yourself an A so that you feel freed up to invent new possibilities? Donna is a wealth of insight and a secret weapon for leaders, and it was a real privilege to get to feature her work here today. I hope you enjoy. Donna, welcome to the show. How are we doing today? Good, Andrew. I'm happy to be here. I'm so, so happy we're getting to have this conversation. Uh, our paths crossed recently. And, and as I said to you before we hit record, you in one sentence used four of my favorite things. Uh, and so I just knew we had to get you on the show because not that many other people are, are geeking out on leadership, neuroscience, organizational design and product. So I was just like, okay, whoever this person is, I need, I need, we need to talk. So thanks for being here. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Yeah, for sure. So I would love to start by getting to know you a little bit better. And for the audience as well, you you strike me as having a very unique path into doing what you're doing today uh, as an executive coach and working with leaders. Um, and, you know, you were saying before we hit record, you, you, you've studied a lot of different a lot of different fields, um, both on the artistic side and in design. So, you know, your book that we're going to talk a lot about is The Leader's Journey. But I'm curious, what, what was Donna's journey? How, how did Donna get here today? I, <laughs> my journey was, uh, winding and meandering as are, as are actually many in, in the, the product world and in the, the tech world. So I think there was a time when I probably thought, wow, my background is so strange, but, um, there are so many of us, but I started out, uh, many years ago, um, in, in, in film school. And I, uh, wanted to make movies, documentary movies. And so I, I have two film degrees and, um, like I was mentioning to you, a minor in sound design. Cause I, for a long time, I thought I wanted to work in, in public radio or do something geeky and fun like that. And, uh, well, actually I, and I have worked in public radio at, at this point. Um, so yeah, I studied film, but I always worked in the tech world and um i've had gosh every title you can imagine from the 1990s onward starting with webmaster through information architect and <laughs> uh site builder project manager <laughs> like we had all these titles web, all the and web designer and and ux this and eventually i moved into to product management and then product leadership because um it just uh, kind of like you were saying earlier when we were chatting, it smashed up everything that I did did well and how I best helped businesses. And um, the last several years, however, I've cha changed course, but I still work with a lot of the same people. And so I, I was doing product strategy consulting for a while. And as I worked with people in senior and senior leadership at more successful companies who had already found product market fit and, and like their products were fine. What I was finding is when I was coming in, they, the teams and executives I was working with really had people problems that they needed help with. And so for the last seven years or so, I've been helping leaders develop their leadership capacity, not work on product stuff. And, um, that's what I, I do now. I work with founders, CEOs and executive teams, ma many of whom have product backgrounds, which is really fun. I, I help them build their capacity to lead their, their companies and, and continue to scale the incredible growth that they're, they're having when they come to me for help. Yeah, no, I love this. So we're going to get into all those things and much more throughout throughout our conversation here today. But one of the things I I, I noticed uh, just getting ready for this conversation is that you have done an awful lot of teaching, 
And I'm curious, A, how did that show up in your world? Because it's not that many people I meet who go from, you know, doing design or information architecture or project management or all the various roles you just named, and then suddenly are teaching at NYU or Northwestern. And and I'm so curious, how did that happen? And how is that, you know, how is that parallel journey? Like, how have both sides of that journey informed each other? I have done a lot of teaching. And it's funny, before coaching, teaching was my my first professional love where I felt like I was at my best. So even when I was the head of product running teams, I would just trick myself every day into going to work by telling myself, I'm just, I'm just a teacher today. (laughs) That's how I got the, the, (laughs) the best out of my teams was not by telling them what to do, but by showing them something and then having them make something of it. And, uh, the results were phenomenal, which is, um, I think a great, great way to, to be a, a, a leader of any kind as well as just to help other people be amazing. But, um, it, I mean, I started teaching actually by accident long, long time ago. A friend of mine, um, this was in the early days of online courses. And a friend of mine was teaching a college course that was online. And at the time there was no real online video. I think this was in 2000, 2001. And so all you had was um, chat, like chat rooms. And so okay. there was... Um, asynchronous learning. There was like a message board and people would do homework assignments that way and reading and all of that. And then there was synchronous text-based chat uh, once or twice a week. And my friend, however, who was commissioned to teach this course was going to be traveling to Australia. I was living in New York at the time. She was going to be in Australia for six months and, (laughs) but she didn't want to lose her teaching gig. And so she asked me to stand in for her. And for a semester, I pretended to be my friend. And I'm like, in hindsight, I'm thinking back, like, did I really do that? I think I logged in as her. (laughs) And (laughs) they they did not realize. I know. Like, did they think I was a TA? I think I might've logged in as her. Um, and yeah, and I taught, I, <laughs> I taught the course and that was, um, I think what my was first, the course? Oh, it was, um, digital. Oh man. I can't even remember what it was like the future of digital or something. I, all right, I remember right. is we, we read uh, Negroponte and, and uh, kind of philosophical stuff on the future of technology, but um, right on. Yeah, it was, it was really fun. It was really fun. And that, that's also when I learned the art of not having the answers and to just putting questions back out to people. <laughs> Cause I was panicking on the, in the chat, like, <laughs> I don't know what to tell them. <laughs> Whenever and they're I'm just all loving people, it. Like, what this do is you the think? Most amazing teacher yeah. ever. Oh yeah. They loved it. They had so much, so much fun. So, um, yeah, it was, yeah, that, that's how I got my start. And I, after that, I realized I actually love teaching. So I always made sure that I was, um, teaching in one capacity or, or another, whether as a, as a manager, as an in-house person, as a consultant, or as an adjunct professor at a bunch of universities around the country. I love that. I love that. Yeah. As somebody I, I'm discovering in, in the recent years that I, I too have a passion for teaching. So I, I'm asking this also selfishly and, uh, I just appreciate that story. So thanks for, thanks for sharing that with me. I, I don't know if I'll get the chance to do the AOL instant messenger version of being a professor, but that is a fun, <laughs> you know, who knows with all the chat GPT stuff happening, maybe we'll all, maybe that'll be like a new model for, uh, for some async coursework. But oh yeah, Chat Chat GPT could have taught that course. Just what what do you? Who has an answer for that question? Great question. Who has an answer? <laughs> it reminds me of like the, apparently one of the earliest forms of uh, of um, therapy that was explored with using technology was I can't remember the name of it right now, but it was like this simple bot program. It was a it was a program before we even had bots that would just basically affirm whatever the person said and repeat back a question about it. And people at the time, like it, this was this was actually novel enough that they found it impactful. And I was just thinking, oh wow, there there's a there's a much more powerful version of that waiting to be done with with GPT and large language models. Yeah, I'm sure it's already been done. 
Actually. Probably. Yeah. I'm sure actually, it's very true. I'm sure. Or I'm sure just, every mental health startup right now is freaking out and building an AI bot as they uh, yes. try to please their board. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Well, let's let's start to talk about your book. So, you know, what a, what a day to get to spend some time with you. Today's book launch day. So first of all, congratulations. That's I, I imagine that feels amazing. But I'm curious, what does that feel like to, uh, to make it to this day finally? You know, it's, it's funny actually. And I was talking to a friend of mine earlier who launched her first book last month and she had a similar experience, which is, um, it's anticlimactic. It, this, oh. this is my, my, my second book. My first book, the user's journey was well, actually about, about product development. Um, I launched, released it, I released it seven years ago. And I remember when the day that came out, it was so weird. I was expecting like, wow, launch day. And then mm-hmm. I show up and I'm just like, hmm, maybe I'll check my email. <laughs> maybe like, <laughs> I don't remember what social media was going on at the time, but not LinkedIn. And I guess, you know, Twitter, maybe there was some chatter on Twitter, but it was very strange. And I didn't like it. Like, it just felt like, wow, I spent all this time, energy, and money doing this thing. And this is what I get. So this time around, it's, um, it's actually been delightful. I spent the morning at my son's school. They were having a field day outside with, uh, uh, races and, and like fun events and stuff. And so I spent the morning there and it was nice to not be online and not check my email too much. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. uh, and then I've, I've got this with you. I have some coffees with friends, um, mostly ignoring my email and social media a little bit here and there. And I'll just, I'll get back to work tomorrow. So it's actually really nice to have distractions. I am so excited for the book to be out there, but I, I don't need to stare at a computer screen in order to, um, you know, treat myself for what is an amazing accomplishment. I have more fun ways to do that. So yes, yes, indeed. Well, congratulations. <laughs> it's nice to be and, here. <laughs> it's great to have you. And, uh, you know, there's so much we're going to cover about the book. And so well, I think one of the first things that I wanted to, I thought would just be a fun place to start because when I was going through the book, um, I saw a phrase and a name that I love from one of my favorite books of all time, which is Benjamin Zander the art of possibility and the phrase of giving yourself an A. So I would love to hear you like, let's start there. Talk to me, Donna, about giving yourself an A, what that means and and why that's important. Yeah. You know, I will use the book as an example. I mean, that's how I, how I wrote the book essentially. So what um, Benjamin Zander talks about in the art of possibility, he, he, um, he was, I think, the former conductor of the, I believe, the Boston Philharmonic. And, and he wrote a book I highly recommend. And it, it sounds like you are, too, um, with his wife, who is, I believe, a therapist and an executive coach. And so one of the top concepts they talk about is this idea of giving yourself an A and where he got that from is he used to teach at a conservatory where he would have all these musicians as students and they were constantly, you know, nervous, freaking out, like worried about their grades and just showing up with fear and trepidation and not performing as well throughout the semester as he thought they could. And so he tried an experiment with them, which was one semester at the beginning of the semester, he asked them to give themselves an A for the semester. And what they had to do is they had to write a letter as if it was the end of the semester and they got an A and they needed to tell him what they did, what they accomplished and most importantly, who they had become. What made them deserve that A? And what he found is that the results were phenomenal. People were 
coming at this exercise, because it's just a writing exercise. It's like low stakes. They were coming at it instead of with fear, with possibilities. And so they would come up with these things that they did, and then they would actually go do them. And the results were much, much better than them showing up and constantly being afraid of their grades. They um, created possibilities and they, they got A's for, for what they did. And I think that just that idea of giving yourself an A is is so powerful because it's something, I mean, you could call it visioning. It's not a new concept and it's something most people do naturally. We, we imagine futures, either we're scared of the future or we're excited or somewhere in between. And, um, but the idea of just giving yourself an A is like, for me, it's so calming and Mm, reassuring that, you know what, it'll all be fine. And you can imagine really cool things. So that's how I finished my, my book last year. It took, what is it? What year is it now? I've, I've, given up. <laughs> I've lost track of time. 23? Yeah. Okay, 23. 23. There we so go. In 2022, um, that's, that was my, that was my A for the year. So I started out the beginning of the year. All right. Imagining it's the end of the year. What happened? Well, I wrote, I finished my book. It's about to be published. It is having a huge impact on the people who are reading it so far. Um, what else did I say? Oh, I, I was picturing a cover that I absolutely loved. Um, something vibrant, dynamic. And uh, I got that cover, by the way. The cover is amazing. I, I had to push for it because yeah. <laughs> I had this vision in my mind. Like, I can't design covers. But I was like, no, but that wasn't in my what an A would be at the end of the year. The cover right, has right. to be fantastic. It, <laughs> and so, you know, this is, this is the, um, where people meet this book. Yeah. You, yeah. You give yourself an A and you can, you can do things that you never imagined you could do or that you've been afraid to admit that you want to do. Um, what I do in, in the book is I, I add a few layers of complexity to that because I'm also a cynic at heart and I believe that there's a, a value at looking at what scares you as well. And so, um, you know, we can dig into that as well, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, uh, that's interesting. yeah, yeah. When you can give yourself an A and also look at what scares you, you can do really cool things. Yes, I, I'm forgetting the 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 name of this, but there's a there's a technique that I've I think is used in therapy a lot. It's definitely definitely used in coaching a fair amount. Where you know you talk about the goal and and where we're trying to go, and then there's the imagining of like all the things that might get in the way, and then how we might overcome them, and and adding that second piece um, increases people's likelihood of achieving their goals, and their motivation, and all that tremendously. If I'm remembering this offhand correctly. Um, so I'm curious if that's if that maps to what you're what you're speaking to. Yep, exactly. So the um, and I cite a few of these studies in the book. The one that you're talking about is I'm always going to mispronounce her name, but I think her last name is o- Odigen. And um, the title of her book I absolutely love. It's a uh, re- rethinking positive thinking. <laughs> mm. And um, another, actually, I'm just give all my favorite book recommendations. But another beautiful book with some great studies about that is um, another one of my favorite titles, The Upside of Your Dark Side, I think yes. is what it was called. No, that like, book was yeah, fantastic. That book is me. so helpful. <laughs> <laughs> yep, so they, both of those written by psychologists, um, one a positive psychologist, from, I believe from the University of Pennsylvania, and the other two, actually, I bet they all come from the positive psychology program at university of Pennsylvania, but it's, um, yeah, when you can, when you can imagine what feels like an impossible goal, but if it feels a little kind of achievable and you can add in what could go wrong, it, um, the studies show that you're much more likely to end up achieving it because you start looking for the best possible future and your actions follow accordingly and you also know what to avoid and um, you kind of have like an internal compass and and roadmap that has some neuroscience baked in as well because when you're imagining these possible futures um, your brain can't tell the difference between what you're imagining and and 
what you would actually experience. So you have all these emotional uh, synapses and, and triggers that are guiding you throughout your, throughout the way. And it's, um, you know, I love that there's science behind this. My background as a filmmaker is, so my big thing um, working in product all those years is I, I have this background in filmmaking. And so as a product leader who was working in a lot of startups with some messy apps and software that kind of didn't really make sense. My big question was always, what's the story? Why don't we build not like a marketing story, but shouldn't there be a story that customers think and experience when they're using our products? Um, you know, we, we call things user stories, uh, agile and user story mapping. Like, why don't we actually like talk about what the real story arc is and really bake it into how we engineer things. And so um, I think of everything as a story. And the great thing is that just the human brain is built on, on stories. And so the idea of giving yourself an A is just you're, you're coming up with a story and you're making it the best possible one because like it or not, if you don't do it deliberately, you're going to be coming up with really crappy ones in your head if you're <laughs> leading with fear. So like we're all coming up with stories all the time in our heads as we experience life. May as well like harness it and be the hero of the story. So that's a, I mean, that's the book in a nutshell. It's also my leadership practice in a nutshell. And what I do with, with CEOs and executive teams is to help you reverse engineer yourself. How do you be the hero and actually move forward instead of, you know, holding yourself back all the time. Yeah, no, I, I love what you're saying here. There's so many interesting jumping off points from here around story and storytelling and, and what that, how that opens up possibility or constrains us. Um, I'd love to hear how you, when you sit down with somebody for the first time, right? You sit down across from an executive, a leader, how do you help them to see that? Like assume that they're willing but they maybe haven't done this before. Like what's the first step for, for someone listening to this to start to really understand and, and own their story and, and maybe uh, get the kind of perspective that they, I imagine they, they develop in collaborating with you. So this is where it's almost like a, um, almost like a cho choose your own <laughs> adventure or like a, I would say like a cycle diagram, but I don't love cycle diagrams when thinking about journeys in life because I, I think like we always want to be moving forward, not in a circle. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But generally you can start either at the beginning or at the end. And there isn't necessarily a, a right or wrong. And so if someone comes to me with a problem and it's a real pesky, uh, annoying problem. Hey, um, I, you know, I, I have this, um, head of engineering and I hired, you know, I hired the CTO. I want them to perform, but they're underperforming and I don't know what's going on. And I need to talk to you about that. Like, we'll we'll unpack it and, and dig into the actual problem or, you know, I'm not sleeping. I just raised a series a, it's amazing. A hundred million dollars later, I'm not sleeping at night. I need, I need help. So like problems are problems. And, um, sometimes you just got to jump into the, the problem and figure out what's going on. Inevitably, at some point, if you start with a problem, you what I always want to do is get people not just to have, it's almost like a massage, like you need to massage that knot a little bit and, and yeah. loosen it up. So, you know, you work on the problem. It's, it's like, it's only fair, but at some point you need to zoom out and look big picture and really look at, all right, why is this a problem? You know, why does it matter that your team is angry at you because you keep talking too much in meetings? You're the CEO. Who cares? Like, you can talk as much as you want, right? What's the problem? <laughs> so when you zoom out and really look at why things are a problem, then you start getting into that giving yourself an A visioning territory of like, well, I'm building a 
a billion dollar company. And I keep talking over people at meetings and they're all angry at me and they're not doing their jobs. And then they don't listen to me as their boss. And okay. So, you know, you can start digging into what the future could be. Then the context of what the problem currently is suddenly makes more sense because often, you know, we work in a business world. And I mean, if I was a therapist, it, this wouldn't be as much of an issue. But in the business world, my goal is to help clients build extraordinary companies. And so when we can get clear on what a vision of amazing could be for the future, and then what their current behavior is doing right now, you can, you know, put a, a dollar amount on that and really see, well, okay, we're losing you know, hundreds of millions of dollars right now because (laughs) my team is just not functioning. And if they would do what I want, it could not only save us hundreds of millions of dollars, but we can make hundreds of millions of dollars. And um, so, yeah, we kind of, when I work with people, we sort of um, take a journey through space and time. I don't know how better to put it, but I often feel like I'm in, you know, a Christmas carol or something. We jump around and we're here and we're there. Um, You just got to explore. It's a product problem, which is great. So like if, you know, I have a product background, a lot of my clients do. um, It's wonderful when they see, oh, right. This is like what I do as a product person. We imagine. Right. What good looks like for the future, what amazing looks like for the future, and then plan the how way? to get there. How do we do it? <laughs> yeah. 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 No, absolutely. I love that. You know, one of the things you, you pointed at there that I, I wanted to unpack just a little more was th- this notion, and I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so correct me if I'm, if I'm misinterpreting you. There's, you know, it, it's very different in a business context sometimes than it is in an interpersonal context or certainly like a therapeutic context where, you know, in, it's almost like business wants to pretend emotions aren't real and that we, that the, these, the humans are not the, the messy creatures that we are. And, and I'm curious, A, if you see that and B, if you do, like, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with, you know, what I'm imagining are like very type A type people uh, and getting them and, and by extension, maybe the teams and the environments that they're leading to be willing to kind of open up this side of things, because I imagine that may not always happen. It's a, it's a great question. And, um, you know, I would amend that a little bit by saying people want to pretend that emotions aren't real because emotions are hard and, um, for many of us, uh, unpleasant things to have, and we'd rather not have them. And even good, I mean, I work with so many people and I'm like this too, even um, good emotions are hard to have. I can't tell you how many people I work with who struggle um, to, to celebrate, but uh, when, when you, when you do it, it, um, it, it can be amazing, like actually revel in it. It can be incredible. Um, but yeah, I think people are afraid of having emotions, but the key to uh, business success is that businesses are actually run on emotions. So all of the, um, you know, incredible inventions and things that have been created over the years came from emotion. And I'm going to you know, if you think about the cliche of the the Steve Jobs with the amazing inventions, like it's all emotional, um, sometimes so much so like he would, you know, come into meetings and cry and throw tantrums. So there are times when too many emotions can create challenges, but um, emotions are where great business ideas come from. We see needs, we see problems, we get excited, we're, you know, interested, curious, all of that. The thing is, yeah, it feels like being emotional at work is like a bad thing. And what happens is that the emotions are still there, but then our actions aren't informed. 
So emotions essentially couple that with the stories that we tell ourselves, which is the same exact thing, which is basically stories are meant to elicit emotions. The emotions, stories we tell ourselves at work and the emotions that we feel, they cause us to take actions that we may or may not be productive. And so like it or not, we are all ruled by our emotions. We would like to think we're not, but we are. So you're pissed off at someone in a meeting and you make a passive aggressive comment or you, you stop collaborating with them and then you're two weeks late on your, your deadline. Um, it's, it's just how, how it happens. And so the way I get past that with people is, um, I guess the best way to put it is like, I just get them to experience it. If that makes, (laughs) you know, it's sort of a com- spending so many years as a teacher and then moving into coaching mode. It was really interesting for me to sh- have to shift my mode of being from let from more telling to more just showing. And mm. um, honestly, my instrument is asking questions. So the more I ask people questions, the more they realize how they feel, the more they have insight into how they're behaving and how that is coupled with emotions. And then they figure out their own solutions and fix things. <laughs> so it's yeah, kind of, yeah. it sounds a little woo woo, but it's really, um, it's really a cool way. way no, like, I get it. it. It does make sense. Right. Because also as a, as a, when you're coaching somebody, it's so much more powerful if you can help, and this, this goes, whether you're, you know, like in your case, you're coaching a client or, you know, a leader in a company coaching one of their, one of the people who reports to them or in a one-on-one, like this is, I feel like this is actually a widely applicable thing. Um, it's so much more powerful to help people discover their own answers than to hand them answers. Yeah. I mean, no one, no one wants to listen to us and no one wants to listen to anyone. (laughs) It's not just us. <laughs> and that's the, you know, the, the, to go meta here. I mean, what's, what's really fun is that all my clients are in some type of management position where that, whether they, they run the whole company or they run an organization at a larger company. And, um, yeah, no one wants to listen to you. It's just human nature. We're, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're we hardwired to not want to listen to anyone, including ourselves. And so when you're able to, more clearly to see what's happening. We can have our own insights and then it's like we automatically do the right thing. It's, <laughs> this all sounds so woo woo, but really it's, um, I mean, the way I see it is my job is to, to expose the inner workings of your brain and to just get you to see what's happening so that you can make more informed actions that are not driving people nuts or driving your business into the ground, but really grow, growing your, your team and your business and all the things that you want to do. Totally. So, you know, let's actually zoom in on, on something. I want to put this a little more, make this a little more concrete for people to give them some handles on it. And, you know, there was a section in the book really all about conflict, right? Which we're talking about emotions. We're talking about identity. Conflict is how I'm, I think a lot of this probably shows up where, you know, when, when, for example, two people's narratives clash, Right. Or I see myself as the hero of the story of my story and you see yourself as the hero of the story, but we have different agendas or we think we have different agendas. So, you know, I think there was two models you, you mentioned in the book, I think it was scarf and three F and I'd love if you could kind of explain, you know, take us through those, those models and and maybe explain how they show up in an example, if you could. Sure. So the, um, Ideas that in much of the book, I talk about how to lead yourself forward by getting clear on how not having life done to you and your business done to you, but really understanding, all right, how can I be the hero in this story and achieve the things that I want to achieve at work and, and in life. And that superpower is kryptonite and all I go, I go all Mm -hmm. in with all of, (laughs) all of the metaphors here. (laughs) And, um, so that's the, um, you know, big chunk of what I do with people. Inevitably in any kind of leadership capacity, you have to also not just learn how to work with other people, but you do have to 
understand how to help everyone feel like heroes of their stories. Because the more they feel like the hero of their story and your collective story, the better your collective story ends up. Then you're all working together like a league of amazing superheroes accomplishing incredible things. What gets in the way of people working effectively anywhere, but especially at work, is if you, let's say you get to the point where you're like, all right, I feel like a hero. Or even if you don't, I mean, our brains are just wired for us to want to be the heroes <laughs> of our yeah. stories. So there's so yeah, much yeah. psychology there. This is just kind of you're walking down the street. Like you want to be the hero. L- literally, you want to survive. I mean, it's as simple as, as life or death. So if your brain is wired to want to thrive and be the hero, it's very easy to get in situations where we're collaborating with other people, partnering in any kind of work context or any kind of partnership context. And we turn them into the villains and it's, um, it's survival. It's part, it's also part of how humans got this far. And, you know, if we were all cave people, um, doing things with sticks and stones, it would probably save us to assume that everyone's a villain in in some way. But in modern life, we have to understand how to collaborate. And so what you want to do in situations where you're struggling to get along with someone at work is, um, and this is the, the, the three, three F's model. Um, It's also, I've also had a, a very bad word as the, <laughs> the rest of the model. Um, in, in the book, my, my editor asked me to, to keep it a little, little clean, but, um, it's, uh, if I, I have my entire toolkit for free on my website, if any of you listening at home want to download, yeah, um, it's we will, a we will link to all this in the model. show notes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I had a good laugh so. when I saw that earlier today. I, I laughed out loud. So, uh, we'll link to this in the show yeah. notes and I highly encourage you to check that out, dear listener. There you go. But I'll spell it out for you. So, um, what you want to do when you're struggling to, to work well with someone else is you want to, um, separate your, your, your facts, feelings and fiction of what is going on in the situation. Cause there's always, if you're turning someone into a villain, it's probably not true. And then you want to understand your side of the story, understand they, their side of the story, which requires talking to them and being curious and having a probably what will feel like a difficult conversation, but will be an amazing conversation. And then you want to co-create a shared ending to the story so that you can all reach your, your shared goals and um, meet all of your human needs. And it's, um, you know, amazing. Like I have so many examples. I think I use one in the book, but um, you know, I'll give you a simple example that I hear all the time. Like so-and-so is underperforming. So let's yep. say someone is under, they report to you and they're underperforming. It does not feel good because there is an impact to that. You're missing deadlines. You look bad. It could be a whole host of other things. It, what we jump to as humans when that happens is um, we tell a story about the other person. Oh, they're not dedicated. They're lazy. They don't know how to do their job. They shouldn't have taken their job. Whatever we think the situation is, we jump into narrative mode and tell ourselves a story about the other person. Usually that turns them into a villain that excuses our own behaviors. And then we have, we feel something. (laughs) So it's like, oh, I'm so frustrated. And then we act in ways that are rarely productive. That's when people start micromanaging or they, um, they're checked out or they get into fights or like lots of things happen. And so if you can split apart your facts, feelings, and fiction, what you often see is that the fiction is just the story and it's not true. And Mm -hmm. you need to find out what the real story is. And you do, that's what I talk about in the book. You do that by, by talking to people and, you know, putting your Sherlock Holmes hat on and, and 
being curious. And once you get the real story and you collaborate on an ending, I have yet to see a situation that is not exponentially better afterwards in relationships that are not like incredibly productive afterwards. So that's, um, and this types into psychological safety. I know you asked about the, the scarf model. Um, you know, when we don't, that's a neuroscience model of psychological safety. And what neuroscientists tell us is that when any of these triggers are activated at work, we, we jump into not safe mode and which is when we get into the storytelling mode. So um, if your status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness or fairness buttons are pushed, you just turn into a feral beast. <laughs> we all do it. I do. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and that's when things just go haywire on, on with right. teams. So if this you is where like, you call time out and take a walk. <laughs> basically. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, um, yes, an adult, although I mean, I mean, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, I mean, totally. I yeah. work on this with my kids is for myself. I have to do it half the time. You gotta, yeah. Pause, take a breath. <laughs> Yep, yep. And then, yeah, go to the three Fs, like what's really going on. And when you can unpack mm-hmm. it all, the solution is often so simple. That makes a lot of sense. So, so it sounds like the, the three F model is really helpful for preparing for one of these difficult conversations to kind of sort out, okay, what, what is objective reality as best we can determine? What is just my experience and, and what am I making up and adding to this situation? And then we can you know, find some, some measure of alignment on those things about what we, how we each see this and what's going on here. And then it sounds like that really is what opens the door to actually, instead of being in opposition to actually collaborate on something more constructive. Is that how that goes? Yeah. I mean, it's a great way to collaborate with someone on, on a difficult conversation. So to, um, if you need to give someone feedback, like, wow, you keep, keep screwing up and we need to talk about this. Um, you know, there are lots of feedback models out there that are great. And I I love them all. And, um, my favorite is the SBI at situation behavior impact. And the thing about a model like that is like when most people do it, it's so mechanical. So it's like when you handed in the assignment last week, um, and it was, uh, it had many errors in it. Um, then, so that's the situation, the behavior, uh, yeah, that's the situation and behavior. And then the impact, um, we are late on our deadline and then you jump into next time you really need to check your work better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and like, <laughs> it's like robotic. Just, it's robotic, but also it's like it, it, it often you get stuck giving solutions to people. And, you know, using that as an example, um, you're often solving for the wrong problem when you can go in and say, you know, I actually worked on this once with, with a client and, um, who's the head of a division, a large corporation and, um, kept dealing with error errors that were coming in and it was really infuriating and she kept doubling down doubling down which turned into micromanagement and then her team was revolting and mm. you know she's like what do I, what do I do like do I, I keep do? telling them check your work check your work like you got to check your work well when she was able to unpack it all what she realized is that um it wasn't that they had to check their work better. So what's the situation? Um, you know, last week you handed in another report and it had a ton of typos in it and it's happened a lot lately. Um, that's the situation behavior. And then the impacts like, all right, we're, you know, we're really late and it makes me look bad and we're weeks behind. So the impact, um, if you add then feelings to it, it's like, I'm really, afraid (laughs) Mm -hmm. or whatever is going on. And you can throw your own fiction there. Hey, I'm worried you might not be cut out for this job. That's okay too. Like you just like unpack it, you know what to say. Then you just shut your mouth and you pause and you smile and you look at the other person and you do this in person or over zoom. You can even do it on phone, but I would prefer zoom for something like this. Sure. You look at them and you just, it's simple. Just what's up. Yeah. What's up. And then you 
shut your mouth <laughs> and you <laughs> let the other person tell you their side of the story. And if they cover facts, feelings, and any possible fictions, great. If not, ask them. Mm. And what you hear often is so far from the story that you thought hmm. was true. Yeah. Um, so like the wow. example I'm thinking of this, uh, where the executive was convinced that the person w- was careless. It turns out that the person came from another company where she was used to working with um, copy editors. Oh. And she's like, I've never had to copy edit my own work. And this is a workflow I'm not familiar with. And can we have a copy editor, please? Can someone help me learn how to do this, please? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was like, we've, I've worked with so many teams. We've never not had copy editors for this. I'm not supposed to do my own copy editing. And like, it's taking me twice as long and you keep telling me to work faster. And I am. And, you know, they, they've worked it out in the end. But um, yeah, so you just need to check your stories and then invite others to tell you their stories. And all is good in the world. You can all be heroes together. <laughs> no, I really appreciate that because I, I feel like so many people who have, you know, when, when people start going down this, <clears throat> excuse me, this line of exploration of how do I, how do I do this, right? How do I handle these difficult moments and these, these difficult situations with other people? You know, you, you hear a lot about these feedback models. You hear a lot about approaches to communication, whether that's, you know, nonviolent communication or radical candor or, you know, take your pick and they're all great. But I think there's this, it feels like there's this missing preparatory step that, that uh, I think you're speaking to right here that will turbocharge all those other almost like very tactical models. Absolutely. I love them all. I love all the models and what they all have in common is that if you check and unpack your stories at the beginning, they're all much easier to mm-hmm. apply. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I have, I have a question and then I want to start to, to close out here. So I guess my question is, you know, it, it strikes me, well, actually, I don't want to make this assumption. I am assuming <laughs> the story I'm telling myself right now, <laughs> Donna, is that, you, you know, you, you do a lot of this work with leaders one-on-one. And I guess my question is, to what extent do leaders need to learn to do the kinds of things you do for them, for the people on their teams? That's a, a great question too. So I, um, a portion, most of my practice is one-on-one on the one hand. Um, I, at any given time, I'll work with one executive team as well, where I'm working with the, the, the team is the focus. And so the team is the system and mm-hmm. we're, we're looking at making the, the team, the hero of, <laughs> of, of the story. And so, um, I'll definitely work with teams in a, in a team capacity as well. When I'm working one-on-one with people, I also, um, I don't believe, I mean, leadership is a team sport. There's no way around that. And it's really important to me that the people up on top, understand that they're not doing this alone. And so when I start working with people, let's say I'm, I'm just working, uh, um, not with the whole team at once, but with a CEO or the, the head of an organization and what, um, you know, we'll start one-on-one, but as soon as possible, I help them get out of, and to use the product metaphor again, like get out of the building, get out of their head and we we head out and we start talking to other people they're they're key stakeholders in their organization and you can use the the user analogy like they're users who are they <laughs> what do mm-hmm, they need mm-hmm. that's what i go out and start finding out and it'll be you know anywhere from a handful to a dozen people that i'll talk to and what i do is i find out the overall story of this individual leader from the system's perspective. So Mm -hmm. I hear from everyone else, like what's amazing in how you work with this person, what's amazing about their leadership and what could be even better. That is a story that most people up on top have no visibility into Mm, because even though we want to be heroes, like most of us are just walking around like, scared and feeling like imposters and um you know even the billion dollar ceos are like scared to death of 
screwing everything up. <laughs> sure. It's, yeah. It's kind of amazing. So especially when you're kind of new to your level, like, which is why I love working with founders or being a CEO is often new to them. But I also work with new executives who've like, you know, leveled up recently and they're just freaking out. And yeah, so totally. you often think, well, I'm doing a terrible job or I'm screwing this up or, well, I'm doing this great. And you actually have no idea how you're doing. Yeah. And so yeah. when we go out and find out what's really going on, that's just, it's more data, more insights and more things that'll help you really get clear on the impact that you you can have. So, you know, I, I, I might work on it. I think of, I'm a systems person. So when I'm working with people, my question is always, which system are, are we working on? Is it like you okay. and your executive leadership and your system, or is it the, the team, team system? And, um, you know, when I was doing product years ago, it was like, it was like the product system and that was a system. Um, but everything's a system. You can't, you can't divorce leaders from the people who they lead and their customers and all of it has to work well together. So I don't know if I'm actually answering your question, but, uh, it's interesting. Like, you (laughs) know, it's funny. It reminds Yeah, no, it, it reminds me of, um, a, uh, one of my first, I don't know, one of my first teachers actually in college, um, in a, in a leadership class I took, and I, I don't remember the exact phrase he used, but he, he talked about this idea. We talk so much about leaders, right? But it's like, what is it that makes a leader? And almost like, if you look at it from a systems perspective, it's the presence of a follower. Like there is no leader I mean, without by followers. definition, <laughs> yeah. by definition, right? <laughs> I know and we so all hate that word, but like by definition, that's kind of, how it works. yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, I'm really curious. One thing, you know, you mentioned that so often the folks in senior roles have no idea what the real story is, right? They're, they're just, they don't have access to this information. They don't have that perspective for a whole bunch of different reasons in, in different contexts. If someone's not working with someone like yourself, is there something they can do, like a, a practice they can put in to start to get more of the real story, to start to get, to open up that, that different perspective and at information flow? Absolutely. So what I would say here is if, if you are in senior leadership, executive leadership in a really high profile position where the stakes are high, get, just get a coach. I mean, it's, it's like the secret weapon in Silicon Valley and in the corporate world in general. And I want to say in, in the U S but it's overseas as well. It's just a little secret people. Once you're catapulted into senior enough leadership, you, you have a coach in your back pocket. So, um, that's one thing. Second, not everyone is in the position where they can work with a coach. And, and I, I totally get that. And I, I've been there as well. And in those cases, I mean, that's part of why I wrote the book. There are so many people that I can't work with uh, who I wish I could work with. And, um, and I just can't. So I definitely recommend, I I only write books that I actually find helpful. (laughs) So (laughs) I always feel funny recommending (laughs) my my own books, but definitely I recommend my book. There are a lot of exercises in, in it. Um, I just, uh, uh, earlier had, had someone, um, a, uh, actually a mentor, a super senior leader, former current founder, former founder, um, just someone absolutely amazing. And tell me like, she wants to just spend a whole day going through all the exercises in the book and, mm. uh, just doing it all for herself. So I definitely That's recommend great. that. Um, and also my entire, entire leadership toolkit and my product development toolkit, um, from the previous decade, it's all, all online on, on my website, donnalishow.com. It's, um, it's all free. Have at it, have, have fun, anything in there you could do by yourself. You could do with your friends, anyone you work with. Um, the key is that you're just always pausing and thinking what could be better and what is, and what do I want to do with it. Yeah. Beautiful. And, and again, we'll link to all that in the show notes for the listener. So just in closing out, you know, one of the questions I love 
to, I'd love to hear your take on is there's this idea, you know, that it's, it's not just the things that we, obviously the things we do have a huge impact and shape our lives, but it's often the questions we ask ourselves that shape the things that we do and end up having far more of the ultimate impact. So I'm curious, is there a question or short one or two questions that you would have the listeners start asking themselves that you think would make a really big impact for them? Oh, it's such a great question. And I'm going to not answer you, but I'm going to give you a different answer, which is not a question, but what I found has absolutely transformed my life and transforms my clients lives is when anything ever happens in life that you have a reaction to. So again, we have feelings and then they trigger, um, oh, just not, I know we're on podcast. I just snapped my fingers for those. That don't <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, a, I, uh, I talk in air diagrams and move my hands a lot, but, um, we feel, we go through life, we feel things and then we do things and they're not always, ideally they're the best things to be doing. They're not always productive at work. And so what I would say, but sometimes they are. So whether you're having any kind of feeling good or bad, stop, check yourself. And instead of a question, I would offer something one of my mentors offered me is more of a comment or a mindset, which is, isn't that interesting? And just check in. What's up? Oh, my, my, you know, someone just said something and my chest clenched up and now I have white knuckles and I'm really pissed off. Huh? Isn't that interesting? Um, well, my God, my book came out. I'm so excited. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) Like whatever it is, When you have the capacity to fully be present with yourself and aware of what's going on, I promise amazing things happen. Um, Some people call this mindfulness. You cannot get me to, you cannot pay me to meditate or do yoga, but um, uh, this is what mindfulness ultimately is. When you can lead mindfully through life, you, your actions will just propel you forward. So that's my, that's my non-answer for you. Not a question, but a phrase. Isn't that interesting? And admire, I love it. admire whatever's going on. That's the other piece. You have to admire it. Good or okay, bad. I, I don't care. I appreciate it. I'm going to add one thing when you can start doing this for yourself and then you can start applying it to other people. It's magical. Mm. Do so, you actually ask the other person? Isn't that interesting? Or, or how does it no, how is it different so, when you do it for somebody else? Wow. They handed in, another report and it's full of errors. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I, my blood is boiling. Isn't that Mm -hmm. interesting? And then, huh, isn't that interesting? I keep telling her to check her work and she keeps handing it in. When you go from, isn't it interesting? Instead of arguing with the other person, you might realize, I wonder what's up. And have mm, a great conversation. Mm. So it's just, it's like an intervention. Yeah. Just, isn't that interesting? I love it. It just gets you to change your behavior. It's fascinating and it's changed my life. I love it. I love it. I love that I have this little, this little like scalpel, this little thought yeah. that can just slice right in there and say, wait, 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 hang on. Yeah. Oh, it's completely transformed how, how the teams I work with work. The, the individual leaders, but especially with teams. When I do this with teams, it just changes everything. Cause my God, they're all arguing like toddlers. We all do it. That is- <laughs> That is, that is, isn't that interesting? interesting? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Well, Donna, it has been such a pleasure to have you here. And, uh, for all the listeners, please go check out her book, the leader's journey dropped today. And we'll link to all the stuff in the show notes. Donna, thank you for being here and for sharing these. I love the stories and the, the exercises. Is there anything you'd like to leave the audience with and how could folks be helpful to you? I, um, Gosh, what do I, <laughs> I think, um, no, I mean, I'm so excited for my, my book to be out there. So I'll just say it by the book and Yay. you can download all my tools for free. And if you're trying to accomplish 
the incredible or the seemingly impossible and you have a hunch that a personal transformation is what you need to keep going, to reach out, reach out to me. Founders, CEOs, senior leaders, executives, executive teams, I am, I'm here to help product background or not. Um, but in the meantime, read the book. I think you'll all love it. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, Donna, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for being here. And again, congratulations. What a fantastic accomplishment. Of course, Andrew, this was awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, I'd be so grateful if you could do me a favor and take about 25 seconds to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That helps me reach way more listeners, and it also helps me bring you more great guests. As always, please feel free to reach out to me anytime at connect at makethingsthatmatter.com. And until next time, my friends, leave them better than you found them. See you out there.